This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up anything. Just dial toll-free to 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you the features free. Those other talk show hosts want to charge you for their site. So enjoy ours on us at freetalklive.com as we go right to your phone calls We'll start things out with, I believe, Eric in Georgia on the amp line. Hello, Eric. Hello, Ian. Eric, what's on your mind tonight? Hi. I just want to uh, um, uh, tell all the liberty-loving people out there in case they're looking for a job, you can always work for the National Guard as a internment slash resettlement specialist. <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? It's a prison well, guard. Here's, here's the job description right, right from the website. As an internment slash resettlement specialist for the Army National Guard, you will ensure the smooth running of military confinement slash correctional facility or detention slash internment facility, similar to those duties conducted by civilian correction officers. This will require you to know proper procedures in military law and have the ability to think quickly in high-stress situations. And it goes on and on, and it talks about, um, oh, benefits. You get to um, earn money while you get training and you get uh, uh, retirement opportunities. And you get uh, money for college, and you don't even have to have a high school GED if you want to apply, because they'll get that for you. So who would you be lording over in this particular job? Um, well, you know, it's conspicuously absent. There is no requirement for foreign language skills. And this I got <laughs> this from somebody in Lou Brockwell Block who mm-hmm. pointed this out. And the other thing is on the national – this is on monster.com for the, the job opportunities – and in the company overview, it says, in the Guard, you get training from us, serve in your own community, and enhance your marketability for higher-paying jobs you're now seeking. So, and they make the good point uh, that uh, from the Lou Rockwell guys that you get to serve in your own community. So I don't know what this means. And So what you're saying up. here, this is, uh, this is possibly ominous. I mean, this is yeah. saying that uh, you'll be interning people, uh, there's no requirement for learning a foreign language, serving within your own community, meaning that they may be locking people up in times to come. I mean, more more yes. people. These aren't these aren't uh, corrections officers. Normal. I mean, this is National Guard. These aren't. I mean, corrections officers work for at least around here. They work for the state, not the National Guard, which I guess is a state office. But the guys that are working down at the county jail aren't National Guardsmen, from what I can tell. Correct. I mean, they may be National Guardsmen on the side or something like that, but... Uh, it's hard to believe that uh, we're at the point where they're hiring prison guards for the FEMA camps that they're going to throw us all in. Um, I have a difficult time with that one in particular, but... Maybe you'll have to go there in there. There is no shortage the, um, of demand for uh, the, uh, prison you guards. A, a URL, just uh, goarmy.com slash jobdetail.do question mark. Yeah, no one's going to remember. No one's going to be able to write that down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No one can write that down. You'll just have to post it over on the uh, on the BBS. But very interesting observation. Any other thoughts for us tonight? Um, yeah, I'd like to do some shameless promotion for my Atlanta anarchist meetup group. Um, I'm hosting a philosophical discussion group on the ramifications of the consistent application of the non-aggression Is, it, is this one of those meetup.com groups? Or is yeah, this... meetup.com slash Atlanta hyphen anarchy. Okay. So well, thank I you, hope thank you for the call the tonight. Yep, I appreciate that. We, you know, it's really... We can't have everybody calling on here and, and giving out their local meetup information, but it's my understanding there are a lot of different meetup groups around the country, and the meetup.com site seems to be kind of a central hub for 
people finding out such information. So whether you're in Atlanta or you're in North Carolina or you're somewhere else, uh, you might be able to find some people nearby you with similar viewpoints over there. At meetup.com. Meetup.com, right. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Uh, So let's talk to Chris in Pennsylvania. Chris, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello there. Hi, Ian. How are you guys doing tonight? Chris, what's on your mind? Um, Well, you guys were talking about uh, alternative currencies the other day, and uh, you said nobody wants to be holding around tons of silver all the time uh, if they want to go buy a house or a car. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did the math on it, and it would take uh, about five pounds of platinum for $100,000 worth. Uh, I don't think that's a a very large amount of weight to have. Um, Of course, you wouldn't have that all the time. So I don't see where the problem is with that. I don't think you really need a paper currency. Well, then, okay, then do you believe the the reason paper notes came out was to scam people? Because the marketplace, as I understood it, uh, the banks decided to come out with that to make make moving around large amounts of money a lot easier. Um, Well, yes, I don't think that it was to scam people. Uh, Well, in the federal government's case, it was. But uh, I don't think, like, the Liberty Dollar was to scam people. It was just to make it easier of a transition. Um, And the banks in the 1800s did it for uh, security purposes um, because if you put your money in there when you got your bank uh, notes, they were – some of them were signed, and you couldn't – uh, give those back unless you were the person that got them out. Mm-hmm. Um, they were more like certificates of deposit than dollars, and they had dollars as well. But that, I don't want to really get into all that on the air right now. Uh, I just don't think it's an issue uh, to be doing that right now. I mean, if you want to not have as much trouble with the federal government, stay away from printing your own uh, paper notes is all I'm saying. You know, I totally support people using uh, gold and silver and things like that. It's just that when you get to the point of having paper notes, things get a little more complicated. You're saying, according to your uh, calculations, it doesn't have to be that complicated, and you don't have to carry around that much of it. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, th- there is a reason that it uh, that it came about in the first place, and so it may have well, to come about that again. That kind of blind acceptance um, is the same kind of reason that the government came about. You know, I mean, uh, well, people say that, well, we must need the government we have because we've got it. What kind of blind acceptance? That The kind of blind acceptance you're talking about. We must need paper money because paper money was invented. Yeah, okay, okay. We must need an overreaching government. I'm, I'm just not, saying it was invented that, for that's, a reason. That same fallacious kind of reasoning um, is the same fallacious kind of reasoning that we've got all the crap in the world that we've got today that is shoved down our throats. I'm with the caller. Uh, thanks, Mark. I actually agree with you for once. <laughs> all right, well, thank um, you for the call tonight. I appreciate hearing from you at 800-259-9231. Uh, that, again, is the SACL-CAI toll-free line. Just seems more convenient for me, Mark. I mean, so you're saying that uh, you don't think that it is more convenient that that's an illusion. I, I, I think that I agree with him. I mean, if you were, if um, you would have to have a certain amount of money at home and a safe, right? Yeah. And that's a little dangerous having a safe in the house. I'll, I'll certainly admit that. Um, but you know, the, the, you know, most houses have something of value in them that someone would be willing to slit your throat over. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would have to, you know, choose what you're going to carry with you and, and that kind of thing. But you can carry. Uh, you know, so between silver and gold, you can carry you know small enough uh, coins that uh, or you know pieces that it wouldn't be that it wouldn't weigh you down that much. Okay, so what about the security aspect? I mean, if you, for instance, are going to buy a car, 
and that may require a little more than the average, you know, what is it, ounce of gold, about $1,000 today, so a car, you'd need... 25 ounces of gold. That's not a whole lot, I guess, but it, but it, when, you're putting, when you're carrying around that amount of gold in a suitcase and somebody knows that you've got 25 ounces of gold in a suitcase, they may decide they want well, uh, to waylay you. So go in that your... case, having it in a bank account uh, or in some sort of secure location where you have a receipt or a note that proves you have it does provide some added value. Or you could just hire a you know bodyguard or something like that. I'm not that. saying that they shouldn't have checks. Um, you know, the, the, the banks wouldn't want to do checks back and forth and things like that. He's just talking about paper notes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, admittedly, a check is, is um, a, lot, a great deal like a paper note, but it's, you know, not exactly the same. Okay. Yeah, well, you're, you're right about that. I mean, that. if you were carrying around $25,000 in cash in a briefcase, you're, just as, you're in just as much danger as carrying around 25 point. Um, ounces of gold in a, in a briefcase. This is all true. Uh, I, I guess, hmm. Well, when he mentioned the security aspect, that's kind of what I th- uh, thought about. So, okay, so you're not against checks or paper versions I'm not, of currency. I, I, don't, I don't, I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking the caller made up a, uh, made a really good point as to, you know, why it is that, uh, and, and you got rid of him rather quickly, um, you know, why it is that, uh, you know, you wouldn't. Uh, he he doesn't believe in paper money, which maybe he includes checks on that. I don't know. Not my yeah, theory. I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess I was kind of uh, conflating the two, uh, conflating paper money with uh, bank receipts, which are what paper money originally was. Right? It was a yeah. receipt for something in a vault. In the same way, a check is kind of like that. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind. Uh, more on the way here. This is Free Talk Live. show you take control of the airwaves toll free at 800-259-9231 that's the SACL CAI toll free line 1-800-259-9231 it's Ian with you and Mark and you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com all the features on the site they are free so enjoy those on us again freetalklive.com Mark have you seen the video of the guys from the Young Americans for Liberty and the SWAT team no Ah, okay. Well, I know that the the Free Agents blog has it right now. FR33Agents, I think, .com is the blog. And these guys in Washington, D.C. were at, uh, they were holding a a protest against socialized health care. And they sent the SWAT team out, or at least one of the members of the SWAT team, or something like that. That's what the claim is, to, uh, to put a stop to this. And, of course, the cop ended up kind of uttering the usual cop cliches about how he's just doing his job and all of that nonsense, but basically telling them that they needed a permit to, uh, you know, speak freely, or a permit to assemble, that kind of stuff. And they welcome to America. Yeah, you know, they tried to ask, well, what about freedom of speech? Well, what about the First Amendment? Well, aren't we free people? And you know, the cop wasn't hearing any of it. Yeah, it we... was, you will either go away right now, or we're going to come here and arrest you. So I actually got in touch with the young man that was prom- prominently featured in the video. And we're expecting to have him on the show tomorrow night. So now that I've announced it, will it actually happen? We'll find out. We will see. But it, <laughs> hopefully he'll come on. Otherwise, we'll talk about it more at that time. But the, the, speaking of socialized health care, it's in the news obviously quite a bit. Uh, there's a lot of conflict going on over this issue. It's been, what, I guess, put off until September 
or something like that, voting on this? Has been that's what, so they say. I mean, that, that makes me even feel like it's more, uh, you know, more dangerous. You think they could sneak it in tomorrow night or something like that? You always got to watch these people. Well, they, they don't call them politicians for nothing. Tom DiLorenzo over at LewRockwell.com had some thoughts on health care, socialized health care versus the laws of economics. And I thought this was worthy of uh, sharing with you. The government's initial step in attempting to create a government-run health care monopoly has been to propose a law that would eventually drive the private health insurance industry out of business. And we've delved into that pretty extensively on uh, this show. I think he'll probably uh, recap it. Additional taxes and mandated costs are to be imposed on health insurance companies. While a government-run health insurance bureaucracy will be created ostensibly to compete with the private companies. The hoped-for end result is one big government monopoly, which, like all government monopolies, will operate with all the efficiency of the post office and all of the charm and compassion of the IRS. And, uh, of course, the idea here is to ease Americans into this, right? Because if the government just came down tomorrow, voted for some plan that said, all right, uh, December 1st, we're just going to shut down all private health insurance Companies the catawalling would, uh, you know, would, would drown them out. It, well, it would be quite obvious that they were doing something tyrannical. I mean, Venezuela, I believe, with uh, Hugo Chavez just shut down 23 radio stations over the weekend. Or was it 32? Anyway, dozens of radio stations uh, were shut down. And that's one of those moves that's just so brazen, so uh, so out in the open, so obviously tyrannical, that only Hugo Chavez could get away with something like that because he's essentially a dictator. They have to be a little more roundabout in this country because of the whole constitution and this this mentality that there's some sort of process involved and checks and balances. So they got to kind of take their time with this, and that's where this plan is coming into play, where they'll just quietly introduce, well, it won't be quietly, but they'll introduce a government competitor, which is subsidized, and therefore in no way will the private companies be able to not, s- compete with it. It's not fair competition, that's for sure. Right, and, and so it'll just, over time, bleed the industry dry and knock the other guys out of business. That's the plan. And he says, of course, uh, this is DiLorenzo, he says, of course, it will be difficult to compete with a rival who has all of his capital and operating costs paid out of tax dollars. Whenever government competes with the private sector, it makes sure that the competition is grossly unfair, piling costly regulation after regulation and tax after tax on the private companies while exempting itself from all of them. This is why government-sponsored enterprises like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were so profitable for so many years, and it's also why so many abysmally performing public schools remain in existence for decades, despite their utter failure at educating children. Because they don't have to compete. You'll pay them whether they do a good job or not, won't you? I know I will. I'm too scared of them taking my house from me. Some years ago, the Nobel laureate economist Milton Friedman studied the history of healthcare supply in America. In a 1992 study published by the Hoover Institution entitled Input and Output in Healthcare, Friedman noted that 56% of all hospitals in America were privately owned and for profit in 1910. After 60 years of subsidies for government run hospitals, the number had fallen to about 10%. These are shocking numbers to me. I did, did not realize this was the case. It I took, didn't either. It took decades, but by the early 1990s, government had taken over almost the entire hospital industry. That small portion of the industry that remains for-profit is regulated in an extraordinarily heavy way by federal, state, and local governments so that many, perhaps most, of the decisions made by hospital administrators have to do with regulatory compliance as opposed to patient-customer service in pursuit of profit. It is profit, of course, that is necessary for private sector hospitals to have the wherewithal to pay for health care. 
Friedman's key conclusion was that with all government bureaucratic systems, government-owned or controlled health care created a situation whereby increased inputs, such as expenditures on equipment, infrastructure, and the salaries of the medical professionals, actually led to decreased outputs in the terms of quantity of medical care. That's why we see in the schools, when they just keep throwing money at the schools, nothing gets better. They just keep throwing money, they keep spending the money, but the quality doesn't get any better. Because it's not just money that's the most important factor, it's, it's customer service. You've got to be giving people what they want sure, it's for their dollars. It's motivation, um, and the fact is, you know, they're not motivated to get the dollars from the customers the way that uh, you know the normal free market is. They're going to get the dollars one way or the other, and you're going to accept what they teach to your kids or the or the kids in your name, whether you like it or not. I mean, that's how public school works. They teach what they want, and you lump it. For example, while medical expenditures rose by 224% from 1965 to 1989, the number of hospital beds per 1,000 population fell by 44%, and the number of beds occupied declined 15%. Also, during this time of almost complete government domination of the hospital industry, which was 1944 to 1989, cost per patient day rose almost 24-fold after inflation is taken into account. The more money that's been spent on government-run health care, the less health care we've gotten. This kind of result is generally true of all government bureaucracies because of the absence of any market feedback mechanism. Since there are no profits in an accounting sense, by definition in government, there's no mechanism for rewarding good performance and penalizing bad performance. In fact, all government enterprises exactly the opposite of uh, in all government em- enterprises exactly the opposite is true. Bad performance, that is uh, a failure to achieve ostensible goals or to satisfy customers, is typically rewarded with larger budgets. Failure to educate children leads so what to more did, money. At that point, what are people incentivized to do? The, to fail. The, right. The bureaucrats are incentivized to fail. And so it's, uh, he says that failure to reduce poverty leads to larger budgets for the welfare state bureaucracies. Failure to educate children leads to more money for government schools. We could add in failure to eradicate drugs leads to more money for the war on drugs. It's guaranteed to happen with health care socialism as well. Costs always explode whenever the government gets involved, and governments always lie about it. In 1970, the government forecast that the hospital insurance portion of Medicare would only be $2.9 billion annually. Since the actual expenditures were $5.3 billion, this was a 79% underestimate of the actual cost. And this stuff also happens all the time. We'll come back with more of some of these uh, healthcare-related info, statistics, and uh, stuff. More coming up, uh, coming up on the way. Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live amplifiers get access to higher quality archives free of commercial breaks and other perks. Join AMP for just $3 per month at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want if you dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and tonight it's Ian with you. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features we give to you, so enjoy those on us. And those features include the Shrine of Female Listeners. Dozens of ladies have taken the time to send us their validated photo or validated video that proves they listen to the show. Head over to shrine.freetalklive.com. See it for yourself. And ladies, uh, instructions on how to get on the Shrine are right there at shrine.freetalklive.com. SACL, CAI, has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections 
early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows that the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful, they record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy, so your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com. That's SACL CAI. We're talking about some of the uh, statistics behind government health care, government-run health care, actually looking at the Tom uh, Tom DiLorenzo over at LouRockwell.com, his article entitled The Socialized Healthcare Versus the Laws of Economics, he's pointing out how when government spends more money on something, when government, well, first of all, when government spends money and then spends more money on something, you don't get an increased return on investment. Uh, there, they, you can just keep throwing money at a gover- at a bad government program, and it just stays bad because it doesn't have the incentives that the marketplace normally gives to well, people that act on a voluntary manner. If you can't, uh, if if I can't be guaranteed your money every single week as as a customer, then I need to make sure that I do something to earn your money to bring you through my doors to have you voluntarily contri- contribute to my business by buying a product or service. And if I don't earn your business, you'll go somewhere else, or you'll stay home entirely. Whereas with the government, if they don't earn your appreciation, right. you still have to pay. I, I don't appreciate that the government right here in Keene, New Hampshire, the state of New Hampshire, is putting uh, a, a great activist, David Kraus, or David Cruz, rather, in jail for six days because he cared about our buddy Sam Dodson enough to uh, stand around or actually take a seat while he was uh, while Sam was being tortured in another room. He, he was charged with disorderly conduct for sitting down. In a public place. So I don't appreciate that, but I have to pay the next property tax bill because otherwise, three years from that point where I don't pay property taxes, they'll sell my house out from under me because apparently I don't actually own it. They do. And then that'll ruin my family's life. And it, it'll be very bad. So, so government has no response. They're, they're not interested in, in providing good service and good products. And so it's amazing that anybody would want them to provide them with health care. But nonetheless, let's talk about a few more numbers here. What he was pointing out is that not only does government spend a whole lot of money, but they also spend a whole lot more than they even estimate that they're going to spend. So they estimate in the billions and the trillions – but they spend twice or three times or ten times as much. For instance, in 1980, the government forecast $5.5 billion in their hospital insurance portion of Medicare's expenditures. Now, the actual expenditures, this is 1980 numbers, were more than four times that amount at $25.6 billion. So there was an extra $20 billion on top of that just for that one year. This bureaucratic cost explosion led the government to enact 23 new taxes in the first year, 30 years of Medicare. The Obama administration's claim that a government takeover of health care will somehow magically reduce costs is not to be taken seriously. Government never, ever reduces the cost of doing anything. All government-run health care monopolies, whether they're in Canada, the U.K., or Cuba, experience an explosion of both cost and demand since health care is Free. Socialized health care isn't really free, of course. The true cost is merely hidden since it's paid for by taxes. But whenever anything has a zero explicit price associated with it, consumer demand will increase substantially, and health care is no exception. Right, and you know that's thus the the bumper sticker, and which makes perfectly good sense. Is you think um, health care is expensive now? Wait until it's free. And that's the God's honest truth. Right. If you think school's expensive now, wait until it's free. And um, we can take a look. 
here in, uh, in in New Hampshire. I don't know how it is elsewhere. I know that the numbers uh, differ broadly. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, private schools will actually be will spend about um, uh, two thirds of what uh, regular schools do, and it's just a kind of a round number. But here in New Hampshire, there's a, there's a school that in my town. It's $1,500 a year for a student to go. Admittedly, they do a lot of cost-cutting measures um, in order to make that work, and they're at a church. Fine. But they spend $15,000 a year on a high school student. That's a tenth of the cost. That's a tenth. So at the same time, bureaucratic bungling will also guarantee gross inefficiencies that will get worse and worse each year as costs get out of control and begin to embarrass those who've promised all Americans a free health care lunch. The politicians will do what all governments do and impose price controls, probably under some euphemism such as global budget controls. Price controls are laws that force prices down below market-clearing levels where supply and demand are coordinated, artificially stimulate the amount demanded by consumers while reducing supply, making it unprofitable unprofitable to supply as much as previously. The result of increased demand and reduced supply is shortages. Non-price rationing becomes necessary. This means that government bureaucrats, not individuals and their doctors, inevitably determine who will get medical treatment and who will not, what kind of medical technology will be available, and how many doctors there will be, and so forth. All countries that have adopted socialized health care have suffered from the disease of price control induced shortages. If a Canadian, for instance, suffers third-degree burns in an automobile crash and is in need of reconstructive plastic surgery, the average waiting time for that treatment is more than 19 weeks or nearly five months. The waiting time for the orthopedic surgery is also almost five months. For neurosurgery, it's three full months and is even more than a month for heart surgery. Now think about that one. If your doctor discovers that your arteries are clogged, you must wait in line for more than a month with death by heart attack and imminent possibility. And that's why so many Canadians travel to the United States for health care. Well, think about it. If you... I mean, yes, if you get your heart condition treated early on, you'll probably, uh, you know, it'll be fine that you wait a month. That's no problem. However, the vast majority of people, at least my experience with the people that I've met, they don't do that. They have their first heart attack and they find out there's something wrong. If they have something wrong with them, um, you know, a heart from the, you know, the heart standpoint, usually it's because they try to ignore these kind of things. That's, you know, that's the personality type we're talking about. People that care about their heart condition, they don't have the heart condition. All the major American newspapers seem to have become nothing more than cheerleaders for the Obama administration, so it's difficult to find much in the way of current stories about the debacle of nationalized health care in Canada. But if one goes back a few years, the information is much more plentiful. A January 16, 2000 New York Times article entitled Full Hospitals Make Canadians Wait and Look South by James Brooke provided some good examples of how Canadian price controls have created serious shortage problems. A 58 here are a few of them. A 58-year-old grandmother awaited open-heart surgery in a Montreal hospital hallway with 66 other patients as electric doors opened and closed all night long, bringing in drafts from sub-zero weather. She was on a five-year waiting list for her heart surgery. In Toronto, 23 of the city fi- uh, the city's 25 Five hosp- years is a lot longer than a month. <laughs> yeah. 23 of the city's well, uh, she's old, so you know, 58 maybe. 58 doesn't seem too old you know. to me, but In Toronto, 23 of the city's 25 hospitals have turned away ambulances in a single day because of a shortage of doctors. In Vancouver, ambulances have been stacked up for hours while heart attack victims wait in them before being properly taken care of. At least 1,000 Canadian doctors and many thousands of Canadian nurses have migrated to the United States to avoid price controls on their salaries. Wrote Mr. Brooke, a few Canadians would recommend their system as a model for export. 
Canadian price control-induced shortages also manifest themselves in scarce access to medical technology. This is a frightening one. Per capita, the United States has eight times more MRI machines, seven times more radiation therapy units for cancer treatment, six times more lithotripsy units. This is per capita. Correct. And three times more open-heart surgery units. There are more MRI scanners in Washington State, population 5 million, than in all of Canada, with a population of more than 30 million. That's pretty powerful. There are more MRI scanners in Washington State, population 5 million, than in all of Canada, with a population of more than 30 million. Now, one could point out that that could be because a lot of Canadians come across the border, so they may have a little, a few more than average, but the point's still made. There are far, there's far more technology in the United States than there is uh, medical technology in Canada, and it's not because Canada's poor. They've got plenty of wealth in Canada. Why don't they have all this? It's because it's government-run. They have no incentive to expand according to demand. You'll take what we give you, citizen. Now stop complaining and get back in line. Stay quiet, too, while you're at it. More on the way, 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Mark. Inviting you to our website at freetalklive.com. The features are totally free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that is freetalklive.com. And if you like this show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, then shop with us at amazon.freetalklive.com. Just enter Amazon through that link. Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. Just start your shopping at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Let's talk to Frank in New York. Frank, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello there. Hi, guys. Hey, uh, yeah, my, what I want to talk about is a little different, but I want to say this. Sure. that uh, I think your dad regarding Canada is pretty propagandistic and wrong. Oh, and really? I just want to say this, that when my mother had her cataract surgery, it was over a six-and-a-half month wait to get the surgeon to do it. And that's in the United States where people have to pay for everything. And I'm going to tell you, I don't have health insurance, and I pay taxes, and we pay taxes and taxes and get nothing for it. And then we reward companies that do a terrible job, that have raped this economy, destroyed the industrial base, and we give them <clears throat> excuse me, trillions and trillions of dollars for their malfeasance. So the logic of the argument stating that it deals with free enterprise and this stuff is bullshit. It means oh, nothing. we've got to let you go. Thank oh, you for shit. the call, Frank. See you later. You're going to have to watch your language if you're on the air with us, unfortunately. Uh, there Seems is passionate. Pesky FCC out there. But Frank uh, was alleging that we were being propagandistic and that it's not really you know that bad in Canada and that things are bad here. And he's right. Things are bad here. I mean, Absolutely this true. is a mostly, mostly socialized system. We just uh, pointed out that 90% of hospitals are run by the government. Well, that was, I don't know if that's still the case today, but uh, well, that, that was, was uh, Milton Friedman found that in... Uh, Friedman what? found that in the early 90s, I think. Uh, do you think they became <laughs> less government-owned? I'm not going to go out on a limb, but yeah, I, you're probably right, Mark. There's still a lot of government involvement here in this country, and that means that there are a lot of problems with the healthcare system. And there are plenty of stories from Canadians who have just had an absolutely awful time up there. But even if the government ran healthcare well, which it doesn't, I've, I've never seen any evidence of it, because no government bureaucracy runs efficiently in comparison to its market competitors, or to market alternatives. I mean, look at the post office versus UPS and FedEx. It's a totally different world. 
Um, but even if they did run well, magically, I still would oppose it because it's coercive. It's coercive. You, you're being forced into it. You can't not play with their system. If it's a universal health care system, you can't opt out of that. Right. And that's a problem. And, and another point that I'd like to make, and this is, um, this is sort of the, from the incrementalist side, is we would, you would probably come up with a better socialist health care system if it was handed down by a king or you know, somebody who was in charge who could uh, design it. But in fact, what you're going to get from the socialist health care system is designed by committee. And it's, okay. going to, it, it's going to be a design by compromise, and what you're going to get is an even worse socialist system. I'm not saying I believe that a, good, that a socialist Medicare, a medical right, well, the, system would necessarily be a good thing. The there would be a lot wrong with it. However, if <laughs> one person, a, a knowledgeable person, got to design it and put it into play, it would probably yeah, be the, a lot better than what we're going to I get when know. they... Maybe, would, maybe, but what you're talking about is that one person would have to be godlike uh, and would be able to know... Uh, they would have to know what the the rates should be for all of the different services out there, which That's is impossible the to know. Certainly, the, there are going to be problems there. Absolutely, but you generally... probably get a better system. People, right, everybody understands that there are better and worse yes. socialist healthcare systems in the world. And the question that they have now is: Is our system better or worse than what they have in the rest of the world? And what you really have to look at there is: We have a mostly socialist healthcare system today. They're not talking. Talking about instituting socialism um, in our healthcare system, they're talking about changing the socialism in our healthcare system. Take it to the next we level. We have a socialist healthcare system, and it stinks. And the rest of the world has socialist healthcare systems, and they stink. If you want better healthcare, the only way to get it is to get it inside the free market. And not to mention that you're going to crash the entire world medical system. If the United States goes more socialist because the the whole the, the whole pharmacological business is based on charging Americans extraordinarily high rates so they can afford to give drugs to the rest of the world. Is that true? There, there's not uh, significant research being done elsewhere. I don't believe that, Mark. I think there's drug research being done elsewhere. It doesn't matter whether be. the research is being done, Ian, as long as they can sell it in the United States, which is the most profitable market for drug mm. sales. Okay. If you, you know, I just don't think that 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 that's my opinion, and and it's and it's supported by data. I, I I'm not saying that it's necessarily going to be true, but I believe that that's going to be the problem. Well, you know, since we're talking about drugs, there's a story right at the top of Drudge Report today about how antidepressant use is up to uh, an estimated 27 million Americans. <laughs> how much money is that for the drug companies? And how disturbing is that? I mean, how depressing of a of a headline that 27 million Americans, that's all, what, one in ten? One out of every ten Americans are Close. taking antidepressants? I know that we had a, a a host on this show, Mike, at one time, the very beginning days of Free Talk Live, who was on antidepressants. And this is obviously a case study. I haven't done much studying beyond um, my co former co-host, Mike. But I found it very interesting, and it was uh, interesting in that he believed that the de antidepressants were leading him to circumstances that were depressing. Like, he didn't have his sexual appetite anymore. He was breaking out. He was gaining weight. So, I mean, those are three things that could could really send somebody into a, a downward spiral who's very concerned with their appearance and who's, you know, con concerned of, with things like that. A lot of people are. I think a lot of people could treat their depression. Um, it, you know, this is 
just anecdotal once again, not a doctor, but yeah. I think that a lot of depression could be dealt with with exercise instead of pills. You know, mm-hmm. get out. Get out, get some fresh air. You know, start moving and it, you'll feel better. A little meditation maybe, add that I don't, to it. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm not a big uh, – I, I don't know much about meditation. However, with the church services I go to, some people would call it that. I, I find it just disturbing that it seems to me the suggestion with this depression medication is that, well, something's wrong with your brain. So you need to take this chemical to supplant what's missing in your brain. You're defective. And I, I, I just don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that there are people that have some sort of defect in their minds that uh, makes them depressed. It, well, it, I can't see why, why it wouldn't be true sometimes. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like it'd be true 27 million times no. out of 270 million. That, that sounds to me like a, a, a gross case of over, overprescription. Right. But the fact is Americans do want to solve their problems with pills. That's true. But that's all I'm saying is I don't believe that it's a real solve. I don't believe that taking these pills for life or however long you're supposed yeah. to take when them. When does it stop? That's what I want to know. You're, that's not really overcoming anything. That's just treating a problem. But isn't it possible to overcome that problem? I think there are a lot of people that were on depressant, uh, antidepressants that will tell you, yes, they can overcome those problems. And yes, they did overcome those problems. And if you're one of those people... I would like to hear your story. 800-259-9231. That is a SACL CAI toll-free line. It's 1-800-259-9231. Let's talk to Jim in Illinois. Jim, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Well, um, you were just talking about medication. I can switch my uh, idea of my conversation with you guys to uh, medication. You can talk about whatever you want, Jim. Go right ahead. Well, there... There's a lot of different medications out there, and uh, yes, uh, I'd say the entire United States have medicated ever since or even before they started advertising it on television. Mm-hmm. Watching those ads makes me depressed. Um, so <laughs> um, I would say that, again, deregulation is sometimes a bad thing when there's already too many regulations in place to deregulate one thing but not another. Yeah, there's. I, I agree that there's a lot of problems with playing the uh, the pickup sticks with all of the uh, regulations that are in in place. Oh, well, let's get rid of this regulation and that regulation, which was meant to the other regulation, which was meant to counteract this one. It, it can be a it can be a real mess. And the fact is, when they do reg, when the government does deregulation, what they mean is is we'll go through and we'll change the regulations. Um, you know, maybe there'll be less fewer regulations, um, but they get to decide. It's not me. Basically, deregulation, when, when we say it often, means no regulation. Yeah, and the, the regulation of the United States is, I mean, ever since uh, the regulation of the railroads is the real issue concerning the economy. If it would all be, but you know, that's taking it back 100 years in the economy, and no one's willing to go back that far. So I'll leave that aside. What I think is the real issue concerning the whole world's economy is overpopulation. Oh, well, Are you suggesting the world is overpopulated? Oh, yeah. it is not sustainable. It is not sustainable. There's uh, been studies done by MIT and CDC saying there will be a drastic decline in population by oh, the year. Well, well what is not sus- I want to get into this with you here, so if you don't mind, hang through the news. We'll bring you back. What's not sustainable about the population of the Earth? That's what I'd like to know. Seems like things are going oh reasonably well. Of course, as Penn and Teller pointed out, if you switch to all organic farming, then yeah, people are going to start dying off by the mil- uh, you know millions, billions perhaps. More on the way. We'll dig into overpopulation here in moments. Hour two's coming up. It's Free Talk Live. 
Attention, all active duty members and veterans of the U.S. military. Your proud service to your country entitles you with the right to participate in special VA loan programs with benefits not available to the general public, like the ability to purchase a new home with no down payment or mortgage insurance, or refi with cash out up to 100% of your present home equity with less strict credit criteria. You are entitled to these benefits. Review them online at varadio.com. This is Tim Lewis from iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I want you to know that as a member or veteran of the United States military, you've earned special rights and privileges. On your feet! And get the details at varadio.com. iFreedom Direct Corporation is a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, certain restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to varadio.com. varadio.com. This is Free Talk Live, launching into the second hour of the program. You can dial toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's 1-800-259-9231. And tonight it's Ian with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Right back to your calls. We go to Jim in Illinois, who was just getting into telling us that his big issue is overpopulation. And Jim, you suggested that the world is overpopulated today. You said it's not sustainable. And I wanted to give you a chance to expound upon it, and then we want to, I want to dig into it, because I don't know if I agree with you. Well, um, basically, uh, I, well, I'm a biologist by education, and also I have, I'm an armchair economist. And to me, all this economy stuff is really it's just boils down to two words, which literally, the literal world, literal word of economy means house rules. So in let's take into ecology. That's the study of the house or the study of the home or even so home economics is just a misnomer and studying economics is like studying a living organism. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, um, a study was published by MIT and I believe if the link is still good, it the um, I don't know if you guys want me to say the web address, but there is a copy of a uh, Beyond the Limit standard run of uh, the population of the world. And uh, it's a graph depicting um, how the population growth with different things like resources, pollution, food, um, technological innovation, all those things. Technological innovation, how is that, um, how is that affected by uh, the amount of people? As the population, Keynesian economics states that as, uh, popu- as uh, needs increase, economies actually, actually grow by technological expansion, by technological innovation, um, beyond the basic model by, that was derived from Adam Smith. This was before game theory, though. So um, that that's what most uh, economists, even Ben Bernanke, he's a Keynesian economics person. They're trying to develop. They're trying to encourage innovation. I believe from the Federal Reserve is trying to encourage innovation by giving out all this grant money of the stimulus funds to different organizations and hoping they become innovative. This is not answering my question as to. Why is it that overpopulation affects technology developed? Technological development comes from mines. 
um, mines in plenty, you would think, would make for more technological innovations. I understand that a scarce resource, um, that you know, the, the lack of resources would make it so that you wouldn't be able to develop in a, in a certain area. But why is it that fewer mines make for more technological development? I'm not saying that fewer mines would make more technological development. That, that by in no case, would be true. But I'm saying overpopulation in general would cause is is causing a lag phase of growth. If humanity is in a petri dish of the earth, there are three stages uh, to all bacteria in a petri dish. There's an exponential growth phase, a stationary phase, and a lag phase. Now, as they compete for resources, all the bacteria of the plate, if they're a single, all the same cell, immunocellular, or not a unicellular, but a uh, homogenous. You know, I, I was at the grocery store um, over the weekend, and this was one of those wholesale grocery stores, and, and they do they specialize in mostly organic stuff and, and that kind of thing. They had chicken, whole chickens, for 50 cents a pound. Tell me about these scarce resources we've got, this co- competition for resources. Yeah, it sounds to me like you're comparing apples to oranges here. I mean, humans to bacteria? Well, I mean, it, it, he's absolutely right. There's, there is a point of overpopulation for the earth, but, I mean, what's the evidence? Evidence being um, in this... We, as the United States, have the luxury of having all the all this stuff for cheap. To try to sell that same chicken in uh, a deprived African nation would be, even to our own, if we would take our own dollars over there, would be much more expensive. Well, likely um, in that case, I mean, if you're talking about a well-fed chicken in that particular area, I mean, chickens still live in Africa and people still eat them, I'm sure, but... Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not as easy to get the grain and all those other things. But many African countries uh, have fine grain production. I believe Tanzania used to be very good until the socialists took over. Well, the central planners, the people that say there's too many people on the planet. Well, yeah, and, and you'd mentioned something about a government, uh, mm-hmm. government, the Federal Reserve giving grants out to encourage innovation. And that's not how you encourage innovation. You encourage innovation by allowing people to be free and allowing uh, you know, companies and, and individuals to compete for a market share so they have to innovate in order to uh, to, ga- uh, to garner that market share. That's how innovation is created. Everything that the government is doing is just it's just misdirection. It's not oh, going you're to. You're preaching to the converted here. Okay, well, but do you uh, understand? But, this, but these are the ideas I believe are behind a lot of the things. Well, and I, I, but. Go ahead. Uh, well, what I, what, I, what I want to point out is when you say that the world is overpopulated, that the only way to handle that is top-down, um, you know, kind of there's, – there's no organic way for the, the world to – people of the world to decide, you know what, there's too many people here. Let's just stop humping. It well, has to mass be, disease. It has to well, – there's that. I mean, the, the earth certainly can handle that when, when the time comes. Um, the earth can handle it, but the people I'm, – I'm talking about the attitude, right. the prevailing attitude of people. And it, we're a long way from people saying, yeah, there's just – too many people out here. I oh, think no, the bacteria does not decide in the petri dish to all of a sudden die. It runs out of resources, and it dies on its own ways. Well, right, well, but, and that's but apples to oranges. humans can create more resources. Right, that's exactly it. We can do, it. Um, you know, tiered farming. Uh, you know, there's, it's, it's vertical possible, farming. Yeah, there's, it's possible to do vertical farming. There's people, uh, growing, there's people growing tomatoes in their um, you know, windows in skyscrapers now. 
So that's, that that's possible. The, that's years the ago. thing that you're missing there. Uh, you know, with your comparison, the petri dish to the world and, and people is we've got the human mind, and that's how resources, natural resources, are created are turned into more wealth. You can combine your ideas with the natural resources and create wealth that never existed before. Different farming techniques and uh, pesticides and things like that that have allowed one square foot of uh, farming area to uh, to yield more and more. Food. And the problem with the scientific method as it is employed today is that people that believe certain things, like the world's overpopulated, go out and do studies or about that there's a lack. world's population. <laughs> um, and what you don't get is the other side of the story. They, they look at the data, they collect data that, that agrees with them, and then they put it out there as science. But there's no hard science about world being populated. E- economics, not a hard science. No, not, I wouldn't say not a science at all. But if we can take this, if you want to discuss it further, uh, or if you want to talk, go to another caller, I understand. But um, if you take this on a socio aspect of overpopulation, as far as how governments are ran, how governments are concerned, as China, if we cannot agree that China has a lot of people for, mm-hmm. little, for as much land mass as they have. Can we, I mean, I'm not saying I'm communist by any means, but can we really fault them? for their method of government when they have so many more people to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I can. Uh, in fact, we also should point See, out though that China China's- isn't dealing with people. I mean, you're not dealing with people when you decide, um, you know, forms of governance. Governance is really just, you know, they're just the modern-day slave masters. I mean, it's like saying, well, when you're dealing with the black people, is it, can we really fault the slave masters for putting them to work in the fields and dressing them in rags and giving them poor medical attention or whatever it is? Yes. Yes, I can fault them for that. They are coercing people. Right. So what's your solution for the overpopulation thing? I mean, you believe there is uh, the earth is overpopulated, so what do you propose? I just propose knowledge knowledge that there is finite number amount of resource and there is But there's uh, not people a naturally understand out there to improve our standard of living throughout the entire world. People understand it, understand that and they they act accordingly. Um, they you know people of the middle class understand that if they have nine children they won't be able to provide for those children in the manner that they want to provide for them so they have one. Um, they also understand I mean everybody understands uh, you know the, the 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 scarcity of resources in the pricing structure. Well, while there may be a finite amount of resources, the uh, the ways those resources can be utilized is infinite because of the the human mind factor. Wealth is infinite. It's always, uh, as long as it's not being restricted, the creation of it is not being restricted by governments. And I thank you for the call, which is uh, where kind of a lot of the problems with feeding people comes into is oppressive third world governments just not allowing people to be free and and innovate and create uh, you know new methods and things like that to uh, to put food into people's mouths well they'll go steal it if you um you know produce well but there's uh, there's a lot there there are a lot of resources but the what changes over time is the way we utilize them we utilize them more effectively over time to feed more people more coming up This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. Just dial toll-free to 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 800-259-9231. It's Ian with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features we give away, so enjoy those, including the updates. Get signed up, and we'll keep you in the loop whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live. Just go to updates.freetalklive.com. Get on the list free. That's updates.freetalklive.com. Check out the Low Country Liberty Report. 
This Ridleyographer from Savannah, Georgia, focuses on pro-freedom issues from around the country. Liberty-oriented reports for liberty-minded folks. Doesn't pretend to be unbiased in reporting and tries to add a little humor to every report. You can find his videos at lclreport.com or join the LCL group on uh, Facebook or Twitter. It's lclreport.com. All right. Well, we're going to continue here taking your phone calls, but I want to come back to the uh, the overpopulation issue when we get a chance. First, let's talk to Jesse listening to WIMS in Michigan City. Hey, Jesse, you're on Free Talk Live. Jesse? Hi, hello. Hey, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, my call is regarding the rising cost of health care and yes, if government has actually created that. Uh, yes. I've heard theories that saying that but since the 1950s, when you, if you had to go to the hospital in the 1950s, you were going to pay about a day's worth of wages to go to the hospital. Uh, average wages versus a day in the hospital would be about the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, ever since... Uh, Medicare and Medicaid came into play. The government began telling how much they would pay for services provided, so on and so forth. Those costs actually got moved to people who were not under government health care. That is correct. So my my question becomes is how do people come to the conclusion that government health care Fully, everyone being fully insured by the government would actually drive health care costs down. Well, because they now, don't have the they, information you have. I, I think okay. that you've probably got more information than most people do. Most people, the it seems to me that the average American, as far as how much they they know about the economics of uh, behind healthcare, which you speak, uh, it's probably not very. They probably just don't know very much. So what what they're told is, hey, how'd you like have to not ever pay for healthcare again? And of course they say, well, yeah, healthcare is so expensive, man. I don't want to have to pay for this stuff anymore. That'd be great if I didn't have to pay for it. And of course nobody tells them that, uh, oh, well, you will be paying for it through taxes, and because it's government, it'll be become extremely expensive compared to how expensive it is right now. And it's because of government that it is as expensive as it is right now. These people, this is, you know, this is lost on them because they've never heard this stuff before. Well, my my question then becomes. At what point do we as a society, how do we approach this? I mean, obviously you can contact Congress so on and yeah. so forth, but that does no good because right. they're frankly not interested in listening to what you and I have to say. Not in the least bit. Uh, so what becomes the next point? What, what's the next step as far as regard, beyond health care? What's the next step that we should be taking as citizens to – try to prevent this from occurring? Well, that is a great question, and within it is an immediate fallacy that I want to address, and that is that you're a citizen in the first place. Uh, and and uh, if you only look at the definition of a citizen, it's a person that owes a duty of allegiance in return for an obligation of protection. Uh, so the, the sort of the, the unspoken assumption there is that you are a citizen because, well, you've always thought you were and they told you that you were. But what if I told you that they have said that they have no obligation to protect you? Then would you be a citizen if they don't have the concomitant obligation to protect in return for your duty of allegiance? Then could there possibly be such a thing as a citizen in the first place? Does that make well, sense? To step away from the word citizen, I didn't right. mean to, to. Well, what else can you do? What I, what I was just simply saying, as a member of society, as as a person who will be affected by this, what would be the suggestion that you may have? Mass non cooperation. Step away from it. 
Yeah, mass non-cooperation is my answer, Mark. Your right. thoughts? Well, you know, this is a question that came, has come up on Free Talk Live uh, many, many, many times, and ones that we've, we've asked um, also. We've been on the air since uh, 2002 and basically been doing a libertarian show. The Republican talk shows and the Democratic talk shows, you know, basically their solution is to, to vote for the red team or vote for the blue team because they'll save us. And uh, the evidence, to me, shows that, in fact, neither team really cares about anything but your wallet. Um, so... I, you know what? What is the solution? Well, we can say vote libertarian, but it's not really a great solution. No, that's not my solution. Because, I'm not a libertarian. Right. Uh, but well, at that one point, that was kind of our solution. It's the right. only thing we had. Um, and you know, so when you obviously the Republicans and the Democrats have both won major elections, libertarians haven't won crap. So the <laughs> the, the that solution is a crappy one. And we came across a. a, a you know, an organization called the Free State Project, and it, its goal is to move uh, liberty-loving individuals to one state. They chose New Hampshire, so that those liberty-loving individuals could return the government of, or you know, turn the bring the government of that state to really uh, the, a maximum role of protecting life, liberty, and property, and not stepping out into the bounds of things like you know, socialized health care and all this other crap that the government seems to want to do. That's the answer. That's the best answer, in my opinion, is if you really care about liberty, if you really understand freedom and you, you, you agree that in order to be free yourself, you have to allow others to also have freedom. If you get all that, then I would say, yeah, check out the Free State Project at freestateproject.org and move to New Hampshire. But for most people, well, uh, that's not going to be – for whatever reason, they're going to have things that they want to stay where they are for. And so the Free State Project won't really seem to be an option to them. And to them, I say that the only, uh, the only solution is to do something similar is to get together with like-minded people and to stop cooperating with the state. Uh, I think it's that non-cooperation factor that's going to change uh, the tide. If, uh, if you see a change happen, it'll be because people have just refused to go along with this stuff. Uh, but as long as Americans just, uh, eh, they just bow down and bend over and jump through whatever hoops the government continues to put up for them and pays out whenever they demand to be paid out to, then you'll never see anything change. It, uh, it starts with you. It starts with you saying no sometimes. Not all the time, maybe not every single issue, but from now and, t- now and then when you know, the zoning department comes around or some cop demands that you do something or whatever, you, you just try saying no. Don't stand up for the judge when he enters the courtroom. It's going to be risky. It's going to mean that people are going to spend time in jail cells. But, hey, nothing worth doing has ever been easy, right? Well, I just wanted to let you know that I did book my plane ticket today for August the 25th. I'll be flying into Manchester. Oh, lovely. So, uh, so wait a minute. Yeah, so you already knew what the answer project. was. Wait, you, you already knew what well, the answer was. Well, my question is actually above and beyond that, though. I'm talking on a national level versus on a individual level. <laughs> How do we as individuals it's affect hope. the national it, scene? I don't think there is any scene uh, nationally that we can affect. I think that, as you said earlier, they aren't listening. They aren't paying attention. They don't care about uh, what you think and what you want. It's all about them and what they want and what's going to enrich their buddies and punish their enemies. And I don't personally believe I can have any effect on them and what they want. So I'm in favor of the idea of backing out entirely and not being a part of it anymore, not consenting while the while the state of New Hampshire or the state of Vermont or wherever is still this, this political organization is still a part of the United States. I personally will not be uh, supporting it voluntarily. I will not be paying them. I will not be obeying them. Uh, and then eventually, hopefully, some state government people will get get it in their heads that it's a good idea to actually declare independence and to secede from the union. Uh, I think that would be the best way to deal with the national scene is to eliminate it entirely. Well, the question is, is that 
the original points of our country was to be a free and independent nation. I'm not ready to give up on the idea of the United States yet. Let's talk about However, that. If you, do, if you don't do, mind, hang on. We'll bring you back here because I don't want to cut you off. If you're not ready to give up on it yet, I'd like to know why. 800-259-9231. Is it just kind of a, a mentality like a, an apple pie flag-waving feeling that you're getting that's uh, keeping you attached to it? Please explain in a moment. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All of the features we give away, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Features including live streams, broadband version of the show, dial-up version, and even a webcam, all free at listen.freetalklive.com, listen.freetalklive.com. What if you found out that the best liberty activists from around the world were moving to the same place in order to achieve liberty in their lifetimes? Would you want to join them? It's happening, and you can be a part of it. Join the Free State Project at freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org, and that's part of what we've been discussing here with Jesse in Michigan City listening to WIMS about what can be done about all of this big government stuff going on, about all this tyranny, this police state nonsense that we're seeing happening all over the place in uh, in America? And I don't want anybody to think that I, I believe this has only been happening in the last six months. It's been building for decades. And uh, it's it's very frustrating, very difficult. Uh, it's It's hard to fathom that anything could possibly change in D.C. And you were just saying a moment ago, Jesse, that you believe that the United States is worth saving. And I just wanted you to expound on what you mean by that. Why? I think Lincoln said it best uh, in the Gettysburg Address that, you know, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. I mean, he was basically drawing from people such as uh, Franklin, Jefferson, George Washington. I mean, people the, the people who founded our country had the right idea. They believed in the idea of limited government, extremely limited government. They believed in the idea that that people will, by default, make the right choices. We've gotten so far away from that, and I would say it's probably been in the last 40 years. Uh, I don't think that those ideas and those concepts should be given up on. Those are the things that made the United States great. What's happening is, is we're moving away from that and it needs to be stopped. I'm not ready to give up on the idea of the United States because the United States is based off of principles that are timeless. I agree and with you on that. Um, and Rome was based on the ideas of republic and all that other stuff. And then uh, Caesar crossed the Rubicon and, and all that crap was over with. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I love the ideas and the principles that the United States was, was founded on. It's the whole slavery thing. And I, I was making the argument that you're making now a few years ago. However, then the New London versus Connecticut, uh, the New London versus, uh, help me out here, Ian. Uh, yeah, blah, blah. Uh, Supreme Court case. Supreme Court Kilo. case. Uh, Kilo. Kilo versus, versus New, London. New London case uh, for the Supreme Court occurred where the, uh, the Supreme Court, um, you know, a bunch of uh, nine, nine people decide what the Constitution says and doesn't say. 
at least that's how I was taught in school, uh, who I clearly can't read, decided that, uh, you know, that the, the towns and the municipalities could uh, take people's property away and give it to other people if they felt like it. Um, and so that occurred. And that was really tough for me to accept. And then the Ron Paul campaign occurred. And, uh, you know, we campaigned our little hearts out here in New Hampshire. And there were signs everywhere for Ron Paul. And, you know, he got uh, 9% here in New Hampshire. It just eight percent. 8%. It just wasn't enough to do anything. And I, I realize that Washington is such a juicy, delicious, nectar-filled fruit there for those that love power. And that the power's there now. I mean, the idea was to keep the power from going there, but it is there today. And they don't have principles. They, they, they don't. They, they don't care about the ideas of freedom and liberty or any of that stuff. They care about having power, employing power, and how to keep power. And I think to believe that you can dethrone them somehow is really uh, <laughs> not based in reality from uh, from what I've seen. And I, you know, like like Mark said, I was once there too, believing that well, we just need to fight harder. We need to give more money uh, to these organizations that are fighting for liberty in Washington D.C. Maybe if we just give enough money to them or run the right candidates, it'll all of a sudden start working in favor of freedom. And all of the historical evidence, of course, shows that that's just not the case. And I'd like to point out that all of the, uh, you know, the founding father uh, lovey-dovey stuff that you said about their principles, again, putting aside the whole slavery thing and the fact that, uh, you know, uh, T- Thomas Jefferson started a war pretty quick on into his presidency and all kinds of contraindications to their supposed principles. But uh, putting aside all that, You'll find a lot of the same principles in the New Hampshire Constitution. I mean, there's uh, freedom of speech and freedom of the press, and a lot of those same ideas are right there in the New Hampshire Constitution. I mean, it's the same guys, a lot of them, that formed the federal government. So why not just hold on to it in that form instead of going uh, at the national level? What's the what's the uh, the attraction for you in the idea of forcing 50 different geopolitical designations to be in concert with one another? Because as the United States, there is a strength in defense, there is a strength in numbers that you don't have as individual states, that you wouldn't have as individual. How many smaller and, states around the uh, the country, around the world, are currently engaged in defensive warfare against somebody that is looking to take them over? Uh, very few, if not. And also, Which, I'd, like to, um, I'd like you to answer... How many times the United States military, since its inception, has been used to fight a, a war of defense? A war that, um, you know, was any of them. You know, An war attack of defense. on the homeland yeah. or whatever? Some, something. <laughs> I mean, it seems to me when they get the military this, this reason for it, and I agree that, that that's, that's the reason you would want it. But when they get this big military, they don't get rid of it like the Constitution said they should, and... They use it to fight all co- kinds of unconstitutional, unconscionable wars. You, you know, let, just let him answer. Yeah, go ahead. What, one war, Jesse. I'm sorry. One name, name one war that that military's been used that um, used for that uh, you know was was defensive, defensive, good, right, just, constitutional. I would say World War II would be the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, probably the the the, the Asian theater of uh, World War II. There's there's some you know there there's some. Uh, Except for the embargo there. that was placed on Japan that kind of uh, encouraged them to run that attack on Pearl Harbor. So it was well, the meddling of the U.S. government that arguably is what uh, the reason why that that was happened in the first place. 
But you can also say that that even in Europe, Hitler posed a threat to the security of the, the ideas of a free society. Well, uh, if you say that, I mean, you then can't you, say then you have just justified a, a every. If, if you say that uh, somebody um, you know poses a threat to the idea of freedom, you have just justified every war ever. The fact is, you pose a threat to smashing my face in. Should I go over to your house and shoot you? Well, I mean, this question has been in society since the times of of Caesar. I mean, Mark Anthony and, um, you know, they had this argument of do you crush the egg before the snake is born or do you wait to make sure that the egg has a snake in it? Absolutely. I mean, you can can say this argument has been in place since the beginning of of humanity. And thus... But But there does come a time when there's a clear and imminent threat to... A way of life, and certain ways of life deserve uh, but to be here's protected. The po- here's so the when you point. When, when you have a person, you have a dictator start taking an entire society of people but, and placing them in ovens and gas chambers. There comes a time where there is sufficient evidence to say that we, as free people, who hold the ideas of freedom and liberty, have to step up for the defense of our common man. Problem- this is the dichotomy. There, they weren't putting the Jews in ovens as far as any Americans were concerned. Hitler invaded Poland and declared war on the United States, and we went over there to fight. Then we found out about the Jews. We didn't go over there and fight because of the Jews. Well, there's that, but there's also the fact that you are making the decision as to what you value and presuming that what you value is what everyone should value and that, therefore, everyone should go along with what you're valuing. And, and, and I understand that what you're saying, let's say that we did know about ovens. Let's say that we did know about that. You don't have to even focus on uh, World War II. You can look at all kinds of different dictators around the world that are doing awful things. Lots are, of them, you know, right. Doing horrific crimes against humanity. And, of course, the United States government isn't in involved in trying to stop all of them. So that's another issue to to, to put aside. And I, I want to continue this because I think it's a very intellectual discussion. You are taking, I feel like you're kind of a, a conservative guy who's coming from conservative roots that is just kind like of us. really discovering the ideas of liberty and, and like uh, us. The military was one of the last vestiges of the... you got to pop the rivets on tyranny. Yeah, the authoritarian state. And I want to bring you back if you've got time, Jesse. So hang on, 800-259-9231. And you can bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features are free, and if you enjoy this program and want to help support Free Talk Live, you can vote for us. Once a month, we ask for you to go and vote for Free Talk Live. It's a very quick process. You just go to vote.freetalklive.com. That's vote.freetalklive.com. You only need your email address, and that is used for verification purposes. So do go to vote.freetalklive.com. So, let's continue here. Jesse is still on the line listening to WIMS in Michigan City. We've been having an extended conversation about the uh, the, the ideas of uh, reachieving, or not, I guess it probably never was there in the first place. So, achieving freedom, liberty in our lifetimes here in America. And I, of course, am an advocate of just regrouping, retreating to some extent, regrouping in New Hampshire, getting liberty activists from around the world, around the country to gather together in order to achieve liberty in our lifetime. And it sounds to me like Jesse's on board with that. He's booked a plane ticket to Manchester to come check things out out here. Uh, but on the other hand, he is also still expressing a uh, 
a love for the idea or the ideals that he believes uh, founded the United States federal government. And I absolutely understand the same ideal. Ian, what shirt am I wearing right now? Captain America. I'm wearing my Captain America t-shirt, baby. Who's and dead, by the way? I'd like to no, he's out. back. Oh, he's back? Uh, right, yeah, you got to keep oh, up with these comic here. books. What's that, what's that, Jesse? I said I'm here. Good, good. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Um, you know, and, and we're, we're not trying to say America bad. What we're trying to say is it looks like the experiment's over. Um, and it looks like we missed. And the kind of thing that you and I, that we were talking about previously was sort of the, the need for a standing army, that you believe that America should be around for the idea of a standing army. And I want to quick read you something that James Madison said, the guy who wrote the Constitution. A standing army is one of the greatest mischiefs that can possibly befall a nation. And then he goes on with, if a tyranny, if tyranny impression come to, oppression come to this land, it'll be in the guise of a fighting, fighting a foreign enemy. And Terrorists. I say it's happened. I say it happened already, and that there's not much that can be done about it. Jesse? Okay. I understand that concept. Yep. Okay, well, I would like to address a couple of things that you had said in the last segment, uh, just things that it seems like you take as uh, take for granted. And, and one of them was that the military needs to be big in order to protect you. And, of course, I, I responded by saying, well, how many uh, other smaller states around the, the world are engaged in such warfare? And you admitted that there aren't very many. In fact, you might point out Iraq and Afghanistan, but, of course, they're protecting themselves against the U.S. military. And, uh, uh, every, and, and a man with a hammer, to, to, to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Plus, the presumption that a lot of conservatives make is that, you know, you can, you can ask them this question on, on, on its face without mentioning the military, and they'll agree. You can say, well, don't you think that government's inefficient? Oh, yeah, yeah, government's inefficient. Uh, well, don't you think that uh, the marketplace does things better than uh, the government does? Oh, yes, absolutely. Free market, free market. And then when it comes around to the military, then for some reason, a big centrally controlled bureaucracy is the preference. So I'll ask you this, Jesse. Don't you feel like protection services could be better provided by the, uh, by the marketplace? No. Why? Because there has to be a standard of service consistent with all people. Some things can't be handled better by the marketplace, and here's why. People tend to disagree on what is effective for them versus what other people agree. So there can only be a consensus to certain things. For example, let's say you have a fire in your home. Right mm-hmm, now, yeah. you can have you can have fire protection. You can hire a company to come and protect your home against a fire in case a fire breaks out. Right, but if you were to do so, then you have to pay a larger amount than is necessary for you to do it as a government. There are essential services, essential things that are provided by government that aren't going to be able to be provided on a free market basis in an economical fashion. You would think that that was so. However, um, here in Keene, New Hampshire, uh, trash services provided uh, less at, at, at a cheaper price for individuals. Um, you know, that's what you pay. That where you, There is no, no public utility here that collects trash. Um, it's less to have your trash picked up by, you know, organ, a bunch of inefficient organizations that all own their same trash trucks. What did you pay for trash? But tra- for? Wait, but trash and fire are not the same because trash is something that you know is going to occur. It's something that you need on a, on a regular basis. So, therefore, you have a marketplace that's sustainable. Fire is not something. Uh, fire it's is called something insurance. That can, you cannot have a fire for six months, or then you could have a, ten fires in a day. That's insurance. The problem is, is that it's Jesse. not a protect. It's, 
I'm sorry? It's, that's all solvable by insurance policies. Well, I, I don't want to get... Insurance policies aren't going to pay for your fire engines to be located in that town. See, that's where we've, you... We've, uh, but before you go on, now you're arguing public utilities, and we, we have an issue here that we need to handle first, and that issue is standing armies. Jesse, I can tell you that if I were a... I were Napoleon Bonaparte the fourth that and i wanted to take over the world the last place i'm going to come is the country where there are 300 million people and 300 million guns because you cannot fight a land war in the united states of america i agree with you 100 percent. there is no way you would be able to take over the united states of america because of our rights to keep and bear arms so then why is the military what do we need a military for if we're blessed with great neighbor relationships on the north and the South, I mean, Canada, Canada runs all the way up there, and Mexico's a very long country, too. We're not going to get – the only way you can hold land is by uh, you occupation. Know, by occupation. If we have an Air Force that can fly around the world and drop a bomb wherever we need to drop a bomb, um, Air Force not being unconstitutional, I think one can equate it to the Navy, you don't need an army because the army is only for occupying land. I agree with the concept that we should have um, that militia is key. For the same reason, I believe that if people took their responsibility as free citizens seriously, then we wouldn't need a police force. Because I believe, as as a free citizen, and and I I apologize if the word citizen offends you, but I I believe as a a free person, as a free member of society, that I have a responsibility to myself, my family, and my community that when it comes to threats against those, that it's my responsibility, not my neighbors, not anybody else's, that it's mine. Hopefully my neighbors are free people as well, and they see it as the same. But the question becomes, is, and it goes back to my original question regarding health care, I don't fault the politicians for the state that our country is in, regardless of being health care, military, or any other subject. I fault the people who let them get away with it. I fault my fellow citizens who are apathetic. That's what I want to change. I want to know how do I change the level of apathy as an individual? How do I change the level of apathy that has taken place in this country? Jesse, because I, I, I hate to use this term, but I see them as sheep. I, I agree. mean, they do as they're told. They, as long as they have their American Idol and they have their Internet and they have their video games, and they have a job, and they can afford to go on a vacation once a, once a year or so. They're happy. Jess, Jesse, they I'm not care. sure. I, I, I concur with what you're saying, but I'm not sure that, a, that an, an engaged and intelligent population is actually going to come up with anything better. You and I have different views on the military. We are both active and engaged. And that's where the problem and comes in. Is basically, a- your view of the military forces its... Uh, you know, if, if the, the funding I am forced to pay for through this democratic-type republic that we have. Correct. So <laughs> I think we should solve those problems as often as we can by allowing free people to be free. I don't want to fund more um, foreign military excursions, whether it's to – and I am, actually, I don't want to be coerced into funding foreign military excursions um, in, into – you know, for whatever the reason is. The, the, uh, the Armenians, I, I think to say to blame the military is wrong. You should blame the people who hire the politicians who sent the military. 
it's not the fault of people who are service no. personnel who want to serve their country and to protect it against foreign and domestic enemies. <laughs> when I when I joined the military, it doesn't I was serve? a military service member. I took an oath to the Constitution. I didn't take it to President Bush. I didn't take it to I didn't take it to any politician in, in Washington D.C. I took an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. Now, the that problem is own. coercion, Jesse. The problem is forcing your neighbor to uh, to go along with whatever your plan is. If you were put into to power, you would obviously keep the military, and you'd do whatever it is you felt was appropriate with it. But I don't agree with the, with having a, a, a government military. I agree with the idea of private protection services. And the problem is I don't have the freedom to disagree with what you're saying. And the people in the military, like you, Jesse, didn't pick up those arms that they were given by the American people, paid for by the American people. People hold them on the politicians that were keeping a standing army. So the they issue, just follow orders. The issue really comes down to coercion. I have no problem. If you want and your buddies want to pool some money together to go invade some other country, I might disagree with you, but I don't want to have to fund that. And, and But the thing is, I am forced to fund those things, and that's where the real problem comes in. You don't want to force the, you don't want to be forced to pay for the socialized health care. I don't want to be forced to pay for that either, and I don't want to be forced to pay for the military or anything else the federal government does. I thank you. It's been a great conversation. Call us again sometime. We'll uh, continue it. Hour number three is on the way. Got to get to some more of your calls about anything. This is Free Talk Live. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronic, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're launching into the third hour of the program. You can bring up whatever you want. Just dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site, they are totally free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. I want to get back into the calls here, but real quick, uh, just want to... Invite Jesse there uh, listening to WIMS. I presume that he's still tuned in because we just wrapped up what was a, a basically a half an hour long, 40 minute long conversation with him on a variety of different subjects. Uh, and it that, still felt like felt like we cut him off there at the end because we're tied to the clock. You yeah, know? I, I wanted to keep it going, but we also have people on the, on, on hold. Yeah. And I wanted to keep it going because it was such a great, uh, intelligent conversation. He, <laughs> it's just like talking with us a couple a few years ago. That's why you think it's intelligent because he sounds like we used to. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but there are people that if you listen to the Free Talk Live Saturday show, we're on a whole lot of markets there where people will tune in for the first time. I mean, we're constantly getting new listeners tuning in on our Saturday show because we just have a much larger reach on big radio stations all around the country that particular night. And so when we hit somebody with a message of uh, the, this message, this principled message of freedom that has never heard such a thing before on talk radio, in a lot of cases they get very defensive, very angry when they're on the phone, and it becomes a... He wasn't. I know that. That's what I'm saying. In a lot of cases, we're dealing with someone who might be making some similar points as Jesse, but in a much 
less tolerable manner, I guess. Yeah. And Jesse uh, is was much more coherent and, uh, and calm in his position, and very, into, very able to make those points intellectually without ranting or shouting and, and things like that. And I, I I appreciate the ability of of having a discussion about these issues. I could tell that he was considering the things that we were saying. Uh, whereas if it was more of an argumentation kind of situation, that might not have been happening. So you had mentioned that we neglected to give him a little invitation, right? Yeah, I, you know, if he's coming here to New Hampshire, um, I, you know, he's going to Manchester and, and probably going to tour the state to see what he thinks. Please, uh, we have uh, social Sundays here in Keene, and if you're going to be in town on Sunday, drop by Vendetta in Keene for social Sundays at 4 p.m. Yeah, what you can do is you can go to nhfree.com and freekeen.com. Those are two of the, the better, uh, more populated websites. And actually, the forums on each of them are good places to go when you are planning a trip here. You can say when you're planning on coming and and when you're going to be here in New Hampshire. And if you let people know what your plan is, a lot of times, besides the normal events that are occurring, that's usually the best way to meet people is to just show up at one of the pre-planned events. But if you're coming out on a, a Friday afternoon or something like that and yeah, you're not you're staying time. Sunday, uh, then you just want to let people know in advance that you're going to be here, and you might be surprised how many people show up. I don't participate on the forums. I just not, I'm not a forum lurker. So if, you've, uh, you know, if you're coming to Keene, drop, uh, drop me an email at marketfreetalklive.com. We'll have coffee. I'll go get some coffee. Sure. All right. 800-259-9231. And one thing you can guarantee, that if you move to New Hampshire with a small government mentality, you will have some of the most interesting conversations with <laughs> the uh, the other activists here. Because you'll find a lot of people uh, that are in the same place as you, and you'll find a lot of other people that, like like me, have moved have beyond place, have, have moved beyond that particular place, and that is the uh, the idea that government is, is appropriate at some levels. And that the, another way to say that is the idea is the coercion against peaceful people is appropriate at some level. So you'll start having some conversations unlike probably anything you typically have where you live, where the selection of liberty-oriented people is relatively few. So uh, so great conversation. Hopefully we'll hear from Jesse again. 800-259-9231. Because I took some notes about some of the things he was saying, and I don't know if we'll have time to get to them because other people want to talk. So let's go to Nick in Massachusetts. You're on Free Talk Live. Nick. Hey. What's on your mind? Okay. So been waiting for an hour. Um, Patience is a virtue, Nick. Yes, it is. Thank you. That's the nature um, of talk anyway, radio, I'm afraid. Uh, before I get into my main topic, I wanted to discuss, um, for just for a second, uh, antidepressants, which I yes, believe sir. you guys were talking about. In we were, ago, right? yes. Record numbers yes. of Americans, 27 million Americans, are supposedly taking antidepressants today. Yeah. I, I took the antidepressants. It never really worked for me. I, I hmm. still got depressed, and I still get depressed today. So I don't think it made much of a difference. That's just my personal um, experience. How, um, how do you well, get undepressed? Uh, I, I don't know. Sometimes I just listen to music. Sometimes I talk to my friends. Sometimes I hang out with my friends. I, you know, my girlfriend maybe. Uh, it all depends, I guess, on how depressed I am. Well, then I would prescribe you do more of those things. All right, yeah, so what else? Exactly, not medicine. Yeah. Um, uh, what I wanted to talk about was uh, patents and uh, copyright laws. And, okay. Um, and I, I've been sort of discussing this on a forum on MySpace there. Groups there that you can debate stuff. and yeah. Sure, that's um, what forums exist for. Yeah, exactly. And not um, for convincing people of stuff, I might, right. I might add. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. Um, so I, I just wanted to discuss, um, I guess, uh, people think that if you get rid of copyright laws and patents, everybody will start copying each other, uh, which sort of makes sense, I guess. But uh, there's just this fear that innovation will be halted and that uh, um, it will basically ruin the idea of the free market and 
uh, I'm personally anti-copyright, so I was arguing with um, a few people. And, well, the, the uh, guy to go to for uh, this is, I believe, Stephen Kinsella. He's a libertarian patent attorney who, well, ironically enough, is against the idea of patents. And uh, so he does a really great job of of just laying out all of the points that somebody might make in favor. Stephen Kinsella? How do you spell that? K-I-N-S-E-L-L-A. A-N-I-S-S-L-A? K-I-N, that'll do it for you. Kinsella. Uh, so, so he lays out all of the points that somebody would make in favor of uh, copyright or IP patents and that sort of thing, and really just tears it up. Uh, he does a great job of that. But Dr. Mary Ruart also did a fantastic job this year's Liberty Forum when we had her on the show. She was t- telling us about how it is that uh, the the patent. A lot of people believe that well, we might be able to get rid of patents here and there, but not on the medical industry, not on the pharmaceutical side of things. That's bad. Uh, and she pointed out that actually prior to the idea of patents coming about, there was plenty of, of innovation. People wanted to be first to market with the ideas, even though they knew that the generic companies would come along and, and you know essentially borrow those ideas and, and resell them. There was still value in being the first to hit market, uh, and it was enough value to make it worthwhile. Plus, she pointed out that you don't have to spend all this money on patent attorneys if there are no patents. So a lot of the money that's being spent in the research and development area is actually being spent to acquire and to hold and to keep uh, patents. And so that's a very expensive area to uh, to en- engage in business. And so if you don't have that overhead, that's more money that you can put into research and development or marketing or whatever else you want to put it into. So there there are a lot of reasons why... That is just a mistaken position to to believe that the government is somehow helping the marketplace by restricting it. Any thoughts? Um, yeah, um, I, I I see your point. Um, I mean, even before there were patents, I'm sure there was innovation. I mean, I didn't really go in depth about the history and stuff. It was sort of a well, government, you know, uh, people's the the pr- product should be free for anyone to use and improve on. And, and you know, I think it's government. I think it's government that uh, counts on people not knowing about history. It, it counts yeah. on that because if you don't know about history, then it's you it's easy to it. accept at face value that oh well, you know, the patent office has been there for my whole life. Obviously, it's you know a good thing that we have that yeah, there. Yeah, that's the fallacy you guys are talking about before. Right, and it's easy to fall into. I mean, it sounded like I was falling into it in the beginning of uh, of the show. Thank you for the call tonight, Nick. I appreciate hearing from you at 800-259-9231. When actually what I was doing was confusing uh, paper currency with notes, with like actual uh, checks or something that represents something that's that's in an account somewhere. So 1-800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. But government is very, you know, it capitalizes on people's ignorance of history. We were just having a conversation the other day with one of the police lieutenants here in Keene, New Hampshire, and some of that I think has been posted to the blog at freekeen.com, where he was surrounded probably by about 30 activists. It was him and, like, one other cop standing in the background with her hand on her gun. Uh, they, they were just peppering this guy with questions, and he was, to his credit, doing his best to give, when he answered the questions, as honest answers as possible. Some of his answers were, I'm, you know, I'm not going to answer that. Uh, but he just was ignoring the history of alcohol prohibition. And we were all trying to tell this guy, hey, just do a little bit of digging. Go ahead, just just look into the similarities between alcohol prohibition and the current drug prohibition, and you'll be surprised at what you find. 
And, of course, he's come trotting out with all the usual excuses about, well, he had a brother who was on heroin and da-da-da-da-da, and, you know, drugs are evil and blah, blah, blah. But just look at the history, man. And he admitted to basically not knowing much about it. And that's what the government counts on. It counts on you remaining ignorant about what's come before. And would his brother have been better off if he'd have spent five years in prison for this heroin? Good question. More coming up here. You can take control of the airwaves. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. Just dial the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 800-259-9231. It's Ian with you. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy those, including the Facebook profile. You can become a fan at facebook.freetalklive.com. That's facebook.freetalklive.com. And Audible.com offers over 60,000 downloadable audiobooks, magazines, and radio shows for your iPod or MP3 player. Try them out by downloading a free audiobook today at audiblepodcast.com slash FTL. That's the way you get the free one. It's audiblepodcast.com slash FTL. All right, so we'll continue taking your phone calls and go to Todd in Michigan on the amp line. Hello, Todd. Hey, Ian and Mark. How's it going, guys? What's on your mind tonight, Todd? I don't know if you guys saw Bill Maher's real-time show last Friday, but there was this uh, gentleman on the panel. Uh, have you ever heard of uh, British historian Neil Ferguson? I have not. Okay, he's a professor and historian at Harvard University. Okay. He talked about the Fed, and he was defending the Fed and Ben Bernanke when Bill Maher brought up Ron Paul's audit the Fed bill, H.R. twelve seven. He said here, and I quote, and my grave fear is that the Congress is going to get power over the Fed. That's the nightmare scenario that we have those crazy people on the Hill starting to control monetary policy. And then I I will really go back to Britain. And I thought this guy was crazy. I mean, he was just basically an apologist for Ben Bernanke, saying that Ben Bernanke was doing such a great job, you know, uh, whereas, you know, he was taking over for, um, you know, the, the previous chairman. And now, next thing you know, uh, I think that when you've got these apologists for the Fed, considering that the Fed is pumping out more money, you know, with all this fractional reserve system, um, defenders of a central bank is, um, it's not surprising. I mean, well, given, you know, the kind of... Cl- He's defending the central bank, obviously, there, but at the same time, his point, from from his perspective, his point kind of makes sense. Uh, that is that, and it goes back to something you were talking about earlier, Mark, that you'd rather have the one dictator making decisions rather than a, a coalition of 100, or in this case, 435 or 535 uh, little dictators. And so if that's what were to happen as a result of the audit of the Fed bill, is that Congress was setting the policy for the Federal Reserve more explicitly than the, you know, is currently run by the board of directors or whoever it is that's, that's doing it now, that would make things probably a little more bureaucratic and a little more bungling uh, because it's still just a it's still a monopolistic organization now being run in a well, I, uh, an even more uh, even more uh, difficult manner. But I don't think uh, you know he's not addressing the issue of getting rid of the Fed. He's right. just saying fear mongering is what he's doing. Right. My he, God, this twelve oh seven that Ron Paul's advocating, we will destroy our entire Western civilization. Yeah. I mean, who can take somebody who says that seriously? Uh, really. 
You, you don't want to audit the Federal Reserve that's because, never been audited? But what he's saying is dishonest in that the Congress already is in charge of the Federal Reserve, aren't they? I mean, couldn't they decide to abolish the government's ties to the Federal Reserve? Couldn't they? Would, well, 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 they could. Yeah, right. sure. I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, th- that's that's very much possible. So he's just but worried that again, yeah, he's worried they're going to take a more active role. That's what his concern is, and it's really just shuffling the deck chairs on the t- on the Titanic. Well, I see where his point is, but he's not addressing the problem, which is getting you know ending this this bureaucratic centralized uh, monetary policy that we have and getting back to, say, a commodities-based system within the realm of the free market. He just just basically is cheering on, um, you know, Bernanke, like he would be cheering on Ellen Greenspan. So I just don't see exactly... Exactly what is the cheer about um, from this from this guy's perspective? I mean, this is a guy who came out um, by his critics that he was defending colonialism. So he's very much of a neocon in that area, anyway. But I just I, I just think he's come. I, I understand where he's come, coming from, but I don't think he's really addressing the problem, which is oh, why should he? Why why should he address yeah. the problem? Fud, Bill. fear, uncertainty, and doubt. All he wants to do is spread. FUD all over the place, um, and that way maybe, maybe 1207 won't go through. Bill Maher is uh, not going to hold his feet to the flames on any of those things, so what do you expect, right? True, but then again, I will say that uh, he's not very much of an expert on on monetary policy now, is he? Was he appearing as an expert on monetary policy? What does he teach? Nothing. Well, I thought he was a professor at Harvard. I'm sorry. No, 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 uh, Bill Maher. But this professor did write a book on monetary oh, policy. Oh, I see. So, gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. Well, just, you know, anybody yeah, can write a book and anybody much, can be a that's professor. That's pretty much what I called him for. It's not? Oh, no, that was. No, no, no. Uh, that's, that, that's pretty much what I called him Thanks, for. Todd, for the call tonight. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. So, okay, another talking head on television took an anti-freedom position. I mean, what's new, right? Yeah. Uh, another talking head on television refused to address the core issue of eliminating the Fed as opposed to just changing around the management of the Fed. Of course, is the issue of eliminating the Fed really on the table? Not really. <laughs> the issue is auditing the Fed that's well, on the table. If you're going to eliminate the Fed, you're going to need some uh, evidence. And apparently the evidence that we've collected up to this point isn't enough, isn't a go- uh, enough to eliminate the Federal Reserve. So perhaps it's, you, know, you can get some more evidence. I'm forgetting more evidence. Okay. Maybe that will be useful. I'm not keeping my fingers crossed on this. I don't necessarily believe that it's going to happen, but in in this area I'm kind of a I'm kind of conspiratorialist. I believe that the people that have the reins of power just have them too tightly in their hands. However, am I against getting the reins out of their hands? No. And if people are having progress trying to pry the the reins out of their hands, wait, you fine. aren't against getting the reins out of their hands? I I am against getting the reins you are. out of the hands of people of the people that have the power. And returning them to the people that deserve that power. Very good. The individual. Let's go to Canada, where Dylan is on the line. Dylan, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Dylan? Hey, how are you guys? Hey, great. Hello? What's on your mind tonight, Dylan? Um, I have a story, actually, from the Philippines. Okay. Um, you know, I think most people know, like, not the most stable government. And in lots of these times, um, some of the 
Robinson's further away from the bigger cities. They sort of have their own thing going on, almost libertarian. And what happened was this girl was sexually molested by a richer man. And of course, he had the courts bought out. But what happened was when she came out, the entire community around her ended up ostracizing this man. And to this day, he's afraid to leave his home, which he's you know, invested lots into. Wow. He's either out of, yeah, he's either out of the city or in the city, but you'll never see him around. So you're saying that the courts were bought out by him, he legally won the case, but the uh, people's ostracism was far more powerful of a punishment. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, this happened 10 years ago, and, you know, it's still very visible. That's amazing. Great example. Yeah. Thank you for that. Anything else on your mind tonight? No, that's everything. I just want to share that story. I appreciate hearing from you tonight, and thank you for the call. And, of course, that was 10 years ago. The Internet was around 10 years ago, but it's certainly much more integrated in our lives today. What can the Internet do to help improve reputation, uh, finding out what someone's reputation is. I think reputation, as we've talked about, would likely be a very important factor in determining who you have relations with in a future free market society. And I think we're certainly to the point where information can be shared quickly and effectively enough to where we could have some pretty neat rating systems for that sort of thing. More coming up. It's Free Talk Live. We wouldn't be where we are without our amplifiers. Their $3 per month helps us spread Free Talk Live and gets them access to perks at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever is on your mind. Just dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And, Mark. and you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are free. We've got a chat room at chat.freetalklive.com. It's open 24 hours a day, but best time to find people is during the live hours of the program. Chat.freetalklive.com. We'll get you there. That's chat.freetalklive.com. I've been taking a new vitamin. It's called Choose for Health Superfruit Complex. It's chewable, and it includes fruits and berries, including uh, goji fruit, mangosteen, Acai is how it's pronounced. Okay. Acai and nani fruit. And uh, these four superfruits contained in uh, Choose for Health are considered by many experts to be some of the most nutrient-rich fruits in the, what the world has to offer. You can uh, get a free week trial. As all you have to do is pay for shipping and handling is by calling 1-800-219-8874. It's 800-219-8874. And I'm, I'm taking them every day. I like them. So, uh, I want to come back to the topic, since we have exhausted the calls. You can call in, of course, at 800-259-9231. We were talking with Jesse last hour, and it was an extended conversation that we'd had with him, but it didn't go long enough to really address all of the, the things that he had said. And he, he did say a lot, in my opinion, that, that uh, deserve addressing. And when we were talking about how it is that in the, the, the conservative world, and you and I know this, Mark, because we both came from that particular faction – that in the conservative world, there's this common idea that, that is put forth, and rightly so, that the marketplace can do things better than the government. That services and products provided by the marketplace are of a better quality and they're better provided uh, by, than the government. Generally, that's what you hear. Free market this, free market that. But when it comes to the police, or when it comes to the military, or when it comes to whatever other their favorite government program might be, who knows, depending on the conservative, it might even be NASA, you never know, right? But just looking at the military, which as we were with, with Jesse, I'd asked him, well, why is it that you don't think the market can handle protection services better? Oh, well, we need a standard of service. 
was uh, that 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 was a term that he used. We need a a standardized thing that only a centralized one size fits all bureaucracy that everyone's forced to contribute to can provide. And uh, that seems to be a little false right on its face. I mean, because number one, the marketplace comes up with standards just fine. That's uh, why when you look at VHS, yeah, beta was still out there to some extent being used in industrial. Uh, yeah, Laserdisc, it had a little bit of uh, competition in the marketplace, but the market had decided that VHS was going to be the standard movie-watching format, at least here in the United States. Even though uh, both the Laserdisc and the Beta were better formats uh, as far as visually for this viewing. True. Things. I mean, this you know, true. That, that, that's what we came up with, standardized. Uh, so that's there. The USB is a standard, the, the connector that you have on your computers. That's a standard that a bunch of companies got together and decided... We are going to use this. It was something we're coming out with, and we're going to use it across our platforms to make it easier for our users. Of course, cell phone companies obviously have to have some sort of standards that they're operating on in that way that they can pass one call to another to another, or one service can interact with another. I can call you from my Sprint phone if you've got an AT&T phone. So standards come out in the marketplace. So it's just fallacious right on its face to suggest that some sort of centralized command and control bureaucracy is necessary for that. And that's... Saying that, making that exception to your supposed rule that the marketplace does things better, it means that you don't have a principle. That that means that, well, if standards are supposedly so important, then why don't you as a conservative support government schools? I mean, I presume most conservatives would see the value in homeschooling and private schooling. I, 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 from the conversations I've had with them, I believe that. But if standards are important, if standardized service is important, then one-size-fits-all schooling should be as important as one-size-fits-all protection. Well, I think that uh, mostly they would, uh, they, would, they would point out that, well, government schools stink. And I would point out that the American military, uh, government military, stinks. Um, the the fact is that the American military, for all the flag waving that's done and the tears yep. that are shed on Fourth of July, believe me, I know the feeling. I do. The fact is that we haven't been attacked here on American soil very darn often. One might be able to make the argument for the Pacific Theater of World War II. It's about the best argument that one can make for having a military. And you have to ignore army, history. <laughs> really, the army wasn't necessary, really, in fighting that. War, uh, you know. Well, you're arguing for an army and a and a navy. I'm I'm pointing out that there should be no coercive military protection apparatus. I'm pointing out that these things need to be voluntarily funded. So in the marketplace, they can actually have effectiveness. I mean, you're right, Mark, from a constitutional perspective on that. That but the constitutional perspective is that there there is, there is not no supposed to be army. a standing army. Right. So you're right about that. But uh, even if it did say it in the Constitution, it still wouldn't make it right. But to the force argument that, down that the, the conservatives would make against you is a utilitarian argument. And that's what I'm telling you. You're making a, a philosophical argument. I can see where it comes from. And I, I'd really like to live in the world where no one's coerced to do anything by a uh, you know, oppressive government or by anyone else. I'd love to see that. I don't know if it's possible. Well, it's also utilitarian uh, to say that the marketplace can provide protection services better. If you want the best protection services, you have to bring competition into the picture. And there has to be variety available in the, in the marketplace. Now, if, if what's really valuable is a one-size-fits-all plan, then that's what the market will provide, right? I mean, if, if that's what people I don't want... Know if the market's ever provided that. Well, of course okay. not, because that's not what's valuable to people. What's valuable to people are different things. Different people have different values. And that comes back around to one of the things that, uh, that, that he was saying, was that... 
well, there are bad guys out there in the world. This was another one of his arguments. Well, oh, well, Hitler, bad, bad man. And, of course, as I pointed out, there are a lot of bad guys out there in the world, and the U.S. government isn't doing squat about them. And some so, of them actually work for the U.S. government. That's true. But what he's saying when he says, well, there are bad guys out there, and so we need to put a stop to this, is that his values and determinations about what is uh, bad and what needs to be stopped and at what cost – are better than those that are my values right. and my determinations of what are and uh, what is and what is not appropriate uh, to do around the world. I happen to believe in peace and love and forgiveness, and I don't want to go and involve myself in any uh, world conflicts. I'm I'm not interested in that personally. Right. And but if you say are, what you want about that philosophy, because I have the same one. Say what you want about it. That's fine. I'm certainly come from a very martial background. I believed in that kind of stuff yeah. in the past. Shouldn't it be my right? Am I not endowed with my creator the right to keep my money if somebody wants to spend it on something I don't believe in? Just because be. somebody wrote a constitution and you believe that that constitution gives the, uh, the, the American government the right to create a military, which... I would suggest you read the gosh darn thing and the 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 writers of the the, the um, and the writers writings and the federalist papers and things like that so you get an idea of what these people wanted but even if you do believe that the constitution I never signed that document I didn't it's not a contract it does not bind me it apparently didn't bind anybody cuz they aren't bind <laughs> abiding by it the people who signed it didn't obey it yeah and the people that are alive today certainly didn't sign it either, even though the ones that have sworn an oath to uphold it, they don't obey it either. So, uh, so, so in re- relation to this, uh, this military discussion, it seems particularly appropriate to share something that Mark Cav- Crovelli wrote at LouRonkel.com today about being a young man and getting caught up in the fervor of war. He says, in 1999, the fall, I walked into an Army-Navy recruiting station in Boulder, Colorado, in an attempt to enlist in the United States Armed Services. At the time, I was almost fanatically devoted to the Republican Party, having gone so far as to refound the Young Republicans Club at Fort Lewis College the year before. And I thought it was my duty in some sense to serve my country, with a few years of my life spent in the military. I'd always been an athlete, having played both soccer and rugby in high school, and I thought that recruiters would be literally tripping over themselves trying to enlist me into their respective branches of service. As it turned out, I was right to think that I was a prime candidate that recruiters would love to claim credit for enlisting. After I took a sample ASVAB test, which is apparently utilized based on its level of sophistication to weed out the stupendously stupid from the only slightly moronic, the recruiters turned into my best friends, offering to help me get into an officer training program since my scores were high enough. I spoke with the recruiters for a few hours, with my mind all but settled on enlisting in some capacity, and I happened to ask them about several injuries I had suffered in high school. I had broken both of my legs playing soccer, including a femur, and I wanted to know whether the military would care that I had five screws in my legs. The question was on my mind because my father had been evaluated for military service in his youth and was deemed to have such flat feet that he wouldn't qualify. The recruiters' faces darkened when they heard the question. But they told me that I shouldn't have any problems enlisting as long as I forgot to tell anyone that I had them. We'll come back with more of this story here in moments. Uh, This is Free Talk Live, military recruiting. Bunch of honest chaps. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free 
Talk Live. It's your show. In these remaining moments, enough time for your call. If you make it right now to 1-800-259-9231, it's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 800-259-9231. It's Ian with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are free, and if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, you can become an amplifier for as little as three bucks a month. We'll take that money in, reinvest it into the program, get on more radio stations around the country, bring more Internet listeners on board, and expose new people to the ideas of freedom. In fact, we're supposed to be on a brand-new station tonight, but I don't know if they got their switchover taken care of. So, I, I as usual, don't announce until I'm absolutely 100% certain that uh, that we are on. But this could be a very good week for Free Talk Live, providing all of our new stations actually come on board when they say they will. And that doesn't always happen in the radio business because, well, there's not a lot of competition out there. It's, it's a business that's highly regulated by the federal government. And so, you know, there just are only so many players in any given marketplace, and they just don't really have that sense of urgency that people in, say, the, the new media world do. I mean, in the podcast world, Mark, we're dealing with 100,000 competitors out there uh, versus the any given radio market. You've probably got three companies, four companies maybe, operating radio stations. Not a whole lot. So, But thank you to everybody that uh, does have a radio station that airs Free Talk Live. We certainly appreciate it. In the meantime here, before your next call at 800-259-9231, we'll finish up this story from Mark Ravelli. He's talking about what it was like 10 years ago when he was just... Oh, about 18, 19 years old, something like that. He walked into an Army-Navy recruiting center and uh, found out that the recruiters just absolutely loved him until they heard that he had five titanium screws in his leg from uh, some sports injuries when he was younger. And that's when they told him that he shouldn't have any problems enlisting as long as he just forgot to tell people that he had the, uh, the, the screws in his legs says, uh, you have to remember that back in those days, the military actually had criteria for enlistment. Now, this might be hard to believe, but it was possible way back then to be denied the ability to enlist because you were too fat, dumb, blind, or criminally inclined. As you know, we've uh, we've been kind of monitoring their process as they've lowered the bar and lowered the bar. At least the, the Army has. Uh, I don't know about the other branches, but we know the Army's been just lowering the bar consistently year after year so they can keep meeting their recruiting goals. So they're they're lowering their goals to some extent, but they're also lowering the bar, and that way they can keep meeting uh, meeting the numbers they've set. So he says, they informed me, however, that if I did choose to forget to tell anyone about the screws and I got injured, that the injuries might not be covered by the military if it was related to my previously existing condition. I left the screening station, or the recruiting station rather, with seriously mixed feelings about enlisting. I still felt that I had a responsibility to enlist, because remember, he was a gung-ho Republican at the time that he walked in those, uh, those front doors. And if I could, in order to serve, or enlist, if I could, in order to serve my country. And I used that phrase incessantly at the time. But I was wary of having to lie my way in. I was also very aware that I could break another bone in one of my legs, and, or as I did in fact do several years later, which would have left me with a huge unfunded medical bill on my hands. To top things off... I felt seriously insulted that they thought I wasn't a top-notch potential enlistee just because I had a few titanium screws in my legs. I was playing college rugby at the time in the top physical condition of my life, or collegiate, and felt that I could compete with the best of the best that any army or that the army could scrounge up. It shook my faith in the competence of the military to think that it would deem my father unfit for service just because he had flat feet and deem me unfit for service just because I had screws in my legs. With the passage of several months, however, the thought of enlisting in the military completely faded from my thoughts. Then, in the fall of 2001, all of my thoughts about enlistment in the military came flooding back to me. 
It wasn't that the sight of the 9-11 attack suddenly rekindled my previous desire to join up. On the contrary, by that time, I had already definitively decided the military wasn't right for me anyway. What brought all my... It's amazing what two years can do for you, right? When you're a young person, I mean, 1999 to 2001. Doesn't seem like a long time, but a lot can change in 12 months. What brought all my previous thoughts back to me was the realization that if I had chosen to enlist in the military that fateful day in 1999, as I truly had intended to do when I walked into that recruitment center in Boulder, I would almost certainly have been on my way to war. I would have been preparing to board a plane or ship in order to cross the ocean in order to try to kill or subdue people that I had never met. I had not thought about the seriousness of what I was doing when I walked into that recruitment center. I mean, who thinks about that? At age 18, it's guns and girls, man. Guns, cars, and girls. Oh, man, I'm going to get a recruitment bonus, and I won't have to pay rent, and I'll learn discipline, and there'll be all kinds of you know, free food, and man, the military's great. They'll teach me something that I can use as marketable? Yeah, college. They'll pay for college or whatever. So you're not thinking about killing most, I don't think, unless you are the type of person that wants to kill people, unless you're one of those gung-ho, let's-go-kill-some-towel-heads type, those guys are out there. But a lot of people joining the military are not thinking about those such things. And he says, so uh, Bill Clinton was in office at the time, and his belligerency had always been confined to invading only the most obscure and irrelevant countries in the world in a dilettantish, albeit deadly, fashion. It never occurred to me when I told the recruiter that I wanted to enlist that I was essentially giving my consent to go fight in a future decade-long guerrilla war in a tribal wasteland or to go fight in an urban free-for-all in the desert. And he might not have also realized that they could stop Lawson, that even if he was uh, consenting to go and do those things, that it wasn't for necessarily as long as they said it was going to be for. Because they can just say, as they have said to many people in the military, oh, you know, you were supposed to leave, but we're just going to have to hold on to you for another 12 months. You know, and they suggest, I mean, people people will call in a defense that, well, yeah, there's this inactive ready reserve. Sure, but that's not what they say when you uh, the, sign the up. The pitch is four if, years. If the salesman at the car company, you know, made some kind of uh, uh, verbal statement to you and then you got the contract and it was, you know, your payments are only going to be for 36 months. Turns out the payments are for, uh, you know, six years. Yeah, you got lied to. And that's what it's like. You say you're going to go in for four years, but the active ready reserve makes it into an eight year stint. That's a lie. And it's not cool. He says, it's what really troubled me when I thought about how very close I'd come to joining the military, the realization that I would have had to go to war whether I thought it was just or not. I would have voluntarily put myself in a position where other people, people I had never met, would be able to uh, would have been able to tell me when and under what circumstances I would have to board a plane or ship to go kill other people I'd never met. And on top uh, and to top things off. Those people I had never met who would have the right to tell me where and when to kill were politicians. The same very slippery scoundrels that I had heard lying to me with a straight face my entire life. It was truly bone-chilling. Right. You know, and, and the people that support the military, and I, I understand where they're coming from, believe me. Um, it's My biggest problem isn't with the military, it's with the government. But why can't these politicians... Just challenge the people that they disagree with to a knife fight in a freaking um, in the Boulder, Colorado. You no, know uh, why? Because they're, they're cowards. cowards. That's why. I mean, why didn't George Bush say Osama bin Laden? I'll you know take you at twenty paces with pistols. Mm-hmm. He didn't say that. 
I mean, because then he would show what a cowboy he was. Yep. Then Osama bin Laden would have been shown for the coward that he was. No. What these people do, Osama bin Laden included, send out people to fight their wars for them. The little people. And the little people do it. And that's a problem. It was truly bone-chilling, he says, to realize how close I came to surrendering my moral sovereignty to people I not only didn't know, but in whom I had no trust to begin with. To surrender the ability to decide when and under what circumstances a man will kill other human beings is a serious matter, one that ought not to be taken lightly or entered into as though he's signing a car lease. Indeed, the decision to kill is the most serious moral decision a man can make in his life, which is precisely why he ought not to surrender the decision to anyone under any circumstances. The decision to kill ought not to be surrendered to a man's wife, to his mother, or to his brother, and it especially ought not to be surrendered to the most mendacious creatures to walk the face of the earth, politicians. If a man finds himself in a position where he must kill in order to protect himself or his family, then he will know what decision he must make. But to kill other human beings just because a politician says so is the height of moral recklessness and irresponsibility. So if you are a young man like I was, seeking to serve his country by enlisting in the military, I beg of you to consider the seriousness of your decision. Realize that you'll be signing over your ability to decide when to kill real living human, be- uh, human beings to the very same people who've made a living for themselves by lying to you. Think about whether you'll really be serving this country by killing and dying or possibly dying in some far-off desert or rocky wasteland. Think about whether you could do more for this country by buying a rifle, learning how to use it, and being ready to use it in actual self-defense of yourself and your family. And I might add, think about whether you could do more for this country by staying here and providing a product or service to the marketplace on a voluntary basis, something that will actually help the economy instead of just blowing crap up. Don't make the same mistake, says Mark Crivelli, that I did in failing to consider the seriousness of enlistment. You might not have flat feet or screws in your legs to prevent you from doing something you'll regret for the rest of your life. It has been Ian here with you. And Mark. And we will return tomorrow night. You can join us online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. Show brought to you by our friends over at SACL CAI. More Free Talk Live tomorrow night at freetalklive.com. Thanks for listening. Attention, all active duty members and veterans of the U.S. military. Your proud service to your country entitles you with the right to participate in special VA loan programs with benefits not available to the general public, like the ability to purchase a new home with no down payment or mortgage insurance, or refi with cash out up to 100% of your present home equity with less strict credit criteria. You are entitled to these benefits. Review them online at varadio.com. This is Tim Lewis from iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I want you to know that as a member or veteran of the United States military, you've earned special rights and privileges. On your feet and get the details at varadio.com. iFreedom Direct Corporation is a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, certain restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to varadio.com. varadio.com.